0: welcome back to another edition of all in the library with your host leslie nicholson a middle school librarian and my co-host debbie
1: sewell i'm a high school librarian so without further ado let's get to our next episode where we interview ann blankman who writes historical fiction welcome ann
0: oh thank you so much for having me i'm delighted to be here we um i found you and i'm so excited so i we we put your book Blackbird Girls on our district uh, Battle of the Books list, and the kids love it. They love it, um, and it kind of came to us, I think, just uh, because you have gotten on some on some award lists, and people are really noticing, um, you know, the Blackbird Girls. And you know, we're having a lot of trouble in our middle grades by finding you know finding things that are appropriate and age appropriate for them, and so. You know i really appreciate the content that you're putting out there for them and that it still stays in that you know age range that makes it okay for them to read a well, lot of people push the envelope yes.
2: <laughs> well thank you so much for saying that i do think that my background um, i'm actually a former middle school librarian myself oh cool so yes yeah, so i thumbs um, up so I know, right. so we love librarians here, of course, and of course, therefore, um, because I had worked with middle schoolers for, for so long, I really understand where they are developmentally. It's a, it's an exciting time, those middle school years. It's a time of great transformation, but they're, they're not adults yet, and Damn. I think we need to write stories for them that reach them where they are at that point in their lives. And so when I was writing The Blackbird Girls, this was something that my editor and I talked about quite a a great deal actually during the revision process, is how do you convey the the horrors of the Chernobyl nuclear disaster without going too far? how do you let the readers, you know, our young readers know what this experience really was like for our main characters without it being too graphic or too in your face. And so that was a really delicate balancing act that I tried to maintain throughout the whole book Is that I made sure that the language, that the imagery, that the themes, that all of that were I hate to use the word appropriate because I think I that word has a, it's got a loaded meaning now. Mm. But I wanted to make sure that what I was covering in the book was really what was best and what was going to work best for our young readers because they're not adults yet, but they're not little kids either. They're in this sort of strange in-between mm. worlds that I think all of us remember being in so well where you're not... You know, you're a big kid, but you're not you're not quite a grown-up yet. And so I wanted to make sure when I was writing my book that I really respected where my readers are in their lives. And I think that children's authors, we not only love children, but we respect them. And so we don't want to hide the truth, we don't want to gloss over things in our books, but we also want to make sure that we are being responsible when we're writing for young people.
1: I appreciate I thought, that. I, I know, I thought when reading it, you cover some very gritty topics, not just about yes. the particular, but you know, family dynamics and abuse and different things in the book. Absolutely. But you handled it so, so well. But I also think it it would transcend to, I'm a high school, librarian mm-hmm. to the high school realm. And I read your other book, Prisoner of Night Fog, and Fog. I definitely think, would that be more for, say YA, yes
2: so my my first three books um, Mm -hmm. prisoner of night and fog conspiracy of blood and smoke Mm -hmm. and traitor angels are very much for the ya crowd and then when i came up with the idea for the blackbird girls it felt very natural for this story to be middle grade and i'm so glad that i followed my instincts and decided that this would be better for a younger audience although i say that and it's funny because i've heard from you know People, readers as young as nine years old and readers as old as 90 who have read this book and have connected with it. So um, I think that, you know, when we say children's
1: literature, yes, it might be geared for children, but really it's it's meant for everyone. Agreed. Well, you know, it's interesting because I, uh, my co-librarian, we put up all the books that we read over the years. Mm -hmm. We put up a little... um, I took this off my wall because I just finished this one, Yay. Blackbird Girls, I read at a different time, <laughs> yeah. and one of my students came up to me yesterday In and said, oh my gosh, I read that book and it was so good because, oh. they probably, you know, we don't have Blackbird Girls in our library, to mm-hmm. the fact that it's middle grades, but I think I'm going to get it because I really think it transcends. I think it could, I think there are some kids who really like historical fiction. Yes. Um, yeah, they do. Absolutely. Plus how you got started writing historical fiction because all your books
2: they are and I and every time I finish a historical um, manuscript I tell myself the next one is gonna be a fantasy where I can make (laughs) everything up and then it never turns out that way I just have this absolute love affair with historical fiction and you're gonna laugh but I think it actually started when I was a little girl and I do you remember American Girl dolls oh Oh, yeah I love them I I, love I was wild about American Girl dolls when I was a kid, and it really, playing with the dolls and reading the books, really opened up my eyes to the fact that there was this whole fabulous history, this whole world that had gone on before I had even existed. And it was sort of, you know, it was kind of a revelation when you are a little kid that, oh, there you know, things existed before I did, <laughs> but um, it really, really began for me, though, in seventh grade when... I read The Diary of Anne Frank in my English class. Wow. And I was just, I fell in love with Anne Frank. You know, the way you do when you're 12 years old, where you just connect so deeply with someone else. I thought I would be best friends with her if we could have ever met in person. And then I was devastated when I got to the last page and her diary found out what had happened to her. And after that, my seventh grade English teacher, she knew how deeply I'd been affected by Anne Frank's diary, and she said, you know, I've got some other books that I think you might enjoy as well, so she gave me some Katherine Patterson historical ah. fiction, and then I was hooked, but from then on, I just, I loved being able to create a story set in another time where I could completely fall into this other world, except it was all real, a real world. And incidentally, a couple of years ago, my uh, my middle school had me back to
1: speak wow, that's so so cool. about
2: writing and about books. And my um, my seventh grade English teacher still teaches there. Oh my gosh! And it was so, yes, actually, all of my middle school English teachers were there that day, and it was so an absolute blast. It was amazing. And this teacher, I still remember her name, of course, Ms. Katumio. She had had no idea that these recommendations she gave given to me years ago had really taken root. And of course she, you know how it is when you're an educator, she was just delighted to know that these recommendations that she had made to me had really made a difference for me, that it had really affected me, and it had opened the door
1: to historical fiction for me. So
2: that's how it began, really, and I, I haven't stopped since. I just love historical fiction. Well, what's up next? oh okay. <laughs> <You> talk about that <laughs> my <laughs> editor and my agent will be mad at me <gasps> okay, so, <laughs> it's all about timing in the publishing world my next book is coming out in 2024 um i don't have an exact pub date yet it is middle grade historical fiction
0: Ooh, middle grade
2: yeah i i've like really fallen in love, love with middle grade and it is about a twelve-year-old girl at the very beginning of World War One who is desperate to get home to Germany from the United States so she and her dad using false identity papers to get out of America where they had been visiting relatives they board the ill-fated Lusitania luxury ocean liner which of course gets torpedoed by the Germans And so you'll have to wait to see what I happens. I love that. To her? Yeah. It's called The Enemies. Well, the working title right now is The Enemy's Daughter. So look out for that in 2024. That's
1: oh, amazing. wow. That um, Your books remind me of Brutus Septus. Yeah. Oh, uh, I have heard love that. her. That is quite a
2: compliment. Thank you so much. Yes, yes
1: I was thinking about that because I, I love her books. And yours are beautifully written, beautifully written. Thank you. Tell us about because, um, you know, this is historical and it has a lot of things to do with the Holocaust and World Wars. um, Tell us does that come from your background or your family, or where did you get the inspiration for those topics? Sure. Well, this is so I'll I'll tell you
2: something very fun. Um, All right. I'm not going to give out too much information, but there's, there are basically two um, different pers- time frames that are going on in the Blackbird Girls. Yeah. There's the Chernobyl disaster in 1986, and then there is a Jewish girl who is escaping from the encroaching German army and is fleeing across Russia on foot in 1941. So it was not until after I finished the book that I found out that there were, um, I found at least three Blankman's that I'm distantly related to who did the same thing in 1941. Um, I get chills just thinking about it. I oh found Oh my gosh. And this was uh, after you wrote? This was after I wrote the book. I did not realize I was actually uh, hooking into my own family history. And I wonder if maybe there was some some part of me that somehow sensed it, I don't know. But I found their um, refugee cards. They had escaped from Kyiv, Ukraine, and got all the way to Tashkent, Uzbekistan, which of course happens in the Blackbird Girls. But the reason why I wrote the book The Blackbird Girls the way I did is really I was inspired by the experiences of one of my best friends growing up. Um, on my very first day of high school in upstate New York, I met a new classmate whose name was Victoria. And it was the first day of school. So, you know, teachers always assign, assigned you um alphabetical seating charts. And our last names are Belfer and Blankman. So we ended up sitting next to each other in several classes. And she was one of those girls that as soon as I met her, I thought, I want to get to know her better. She was so funny. She's so <laughs> smart. She's the fastest talker I've ever met. And I'm <laughs> that's really saying something. And it was really amazing she was such a fast, witty talker because she had only recently learned English. Um, oh, a synagogue in my hometown had sponsored her family and several other families um, to come and settle in New York after the Soviet Union fell apart and collapsed, and so there were several, um, you know, Russian-Jewish families in my hometown who had moved there. And so after I got to know Victoria better, she, and I don't want to want into a whole long story because I know we have a time frame here, but after I got to know Victoria better, she um, confided in me that she had actually survived Chernobyl and she was very nervous about telling people because she was afraid that people wouldn't want to be her friends anymore, that they would think she was radioactive. Yeah, right, yeah. And, you know, So she, she was really, really self-conscious about it. And of course, you know, we we all, all, all of my friends, we all just loved her to bits, and we, yeah. didn't, we didn't think that in the slightest. She's just the funniest person, so. Um, But I also met Victoria's grandparents who had immigrated at the same time, and they, especially her grandfather, they had, um, in the 1940s, when they were living in Kiev, Ukraine, um, her grandfather, he was just a young teenager himself, he managed to escape from the German army on foot and walk and take boats. Um, all the way from Ukraine down to Tashkent, Uzbekistan, which is where he spent the remainder of the war with several other Jewish refugees. And then um, after the war ended, he managed to, took him several months, make his way back up to his hometown in Ukraine, which was where the majority of his family had stayed. And when he got back home, he learned that most of his family had been murdered in the Abiyar uh, Massacre, which is when, um, shortly after Kiev was conquered by the Germans, the Germans rounded up, it estimates buried, some people say about 30,000 Jews, um, lined them up in a ravine outside the city and, oh, shot them, and then buried them. And so that is what happened to my friend's grandfather's my family. Goodness. and. Um, so after these, they shared these stories with me, I couldn't stop thinking about them and I was just haunted by these two journeys, right? A journey um, that my friend took in 1996 to escape from radioactive fallout and she was all on her own, you know, six years old in 1986, had to travel all by herself to Uzbekistan which was where she had distant family who who would stay after the end of World War II. And I was also fascinated by the journeys that her grandfather undertook in 1941. So I kept thinking about these two journeys and how really they were intertwined. And that's how the Blackbird Girls came to be. And it wasn't until much later after I'd written it that I realized that I was also, you know, writing about the Blankmans as well, which was mm-hmm. really, Gives me chills when I think about it to this day, um, but yes, because of my family, but also I think just because um, the Holocaust is so important, I think for everyone to know about, I want to continue mm-hmm. writing about that time period in, in different ways. And I
0: appreciate that kids, kids, that that's what they want. Give me a book yeah. about the Holocaust. I mean, they just find it fascinating that that is a part of our history, you know, so in a recent part of our history. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. It's, it's shocking absolutely. to me
1: that it happened so recently. No. Can you um, tell our audience the significance of the title of your book, The Blackbird Girls? Absolutely. Okay.
2: <laughs> so, The Blackbird Girls, um, I always knew that I wanted the title to refer to the friendship between the main characters, because these, these two main characters, Oksana and Valentina, do not like each other at all. In fact, they hate each other in the beginning of the book. They have to work very, very hard to earn their friendship, is how I like to put it. So, um, we learn the significance of the title later on in the book, when we discover that blackbirds um, in you know Russian folklore, they're sort of a symbol of eternity because blackbirds can do, can sort of do anything. They can walk on the ground, they can fly in the sky, they can even swim across the surface of a pond. And so the girls decide that their friendship is gonna be like that. It's gonna, it could last anywhere in the world, and it's gonna last forever. And so that is really what, what the title is about. It's a celebration of female friendship, which I think Thanks. is frankly so important
1: for girls. Oh, that really resonated with me so I'm glad you shared that. I know Thank you for asking. It's funny in other countries where the book
2: has been published, the Blackbird Girls, that title does not translate into other languages. So uh, like in the Czech Republic they changed the title to Chernobyl Girls, which you know I mean because yeah. right, they immediately wanted to tie it into the nuclear disaster. Um, in Italy, they changed it to Blackbird, the colors of the sky, which actually never—it's not even a phrase that's in the book—but they um, they just felt that would work really well in their language and in their Margaret.
1: And then well, they are very fascinated with the colors from the nuclear. Yeah, I mean, doesn't look like normal smoke. So that, I think that might work. I think that's where they were
2: coming from with it, because because after the nuclear disaster, right, the sky is red and. The smoke is this bizarre sort of purplish-blue color.
1: Very I thought it was really interesting about all the different people that have been affected with the radiation and how some of them are okay, and then, you know, how you explained all of that. That was very interesting.
2: Well, and, and to me, it, it frankly, You know, still boggles my mind all these years later that some people were completely fine,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and other people were affected. My my friend Victoria, she was evacuated after a few days, and she's been fine. But her parents weren't evacuated, and her dad is still doing just fine. Her grandparents are in their nineties, and you know, hail and hearty. But her grandma, but her mother did die uh, of leukemia. She started getting sick when we were in high school, and then passed away shortly after um, we were in college, after we graduated from college, so there, there seems to be no rhyme
1: or reason. Yeah, anyway you else. think, from my perspective, you think we, what we hear over here is that everybody mm-hmm. was horribly affected, but it, from what your book says, it wasn't, like, Yes, it was still a horrible thing, but I, I was surprised about
2: that. It was surprising to me too, the more research that I did, because you would think it would that the effects of radioactive fallout would just be basically consistent across the whole population. That everybody would suffer the same Mm -hmm. illnesses or, but it, some of it was just the luck of the draw. Did you happen to be outside that day? Or wearing a hat or not,
1: like... Right, exactly. Wearing a
2: hat or not. Did you shower when you came inside? Mm. I mean,
1: it's, absolutely,
2: and some people, you know, they were out there that day fishing and ate their contaminated fish, and so they died very quickly. Wow. What about, what was
1: the old Alive's Tale uh, cure for radiation? What was that one in the book?
2: Oh, this is is wild to me. So
1: what what the populace
2: was told is that, first of all, they were told that, you know, a nuclear disaster was like, it would happen one in every 10 million years. it was just basically impossible, but but they were also and all the school children were, were told too, if there was a nuclear accident, you would be fine as long as you drank milk, <laughs> vodka,
1: and mm-hmm. ate numbers.
2: So at the hospital, after the nuclear disaster, they rushed you know all of the um, the night shift workers at the nuclear power plant. They were rushed; those who survived the meeting. Rushed to the hospital, and they started giving these poor men who were all suffering terribly from radiation poisoning. By then, they gave these men vodka. Can you imagine? So these poor men are so weak; they're vomiting, they're drunk. It's just, Ugh. it's just shocking. To, it, it's shocking to think about, um, and that's something that my my friend has a hard time. She still can't accept it to this day. Is that the government lied to them? That is what she said she can forgive the fact that there was an accident, right? But what she can't forgive is that the government knew and tried to cover it up. She can remember being outside that whole day watching a, a bike race. She lived near the power plant, not in the actual town. And it was the day where they had a big, it was the, the day of their annual big bike race. And she can remember being out there for hours breathing in the air. And the way that she and her family found out about the disaster um, is is pretty eerie. They actually figured out about a day or two before the government admitted what had happened. So her grandfather, the one who um, escaped from the Nazis back in 1941. So in 1986, he and his wife lived in a little apartment across the street from the bus station in Keith. And he heard that Sunday night, so the day after the disaster, he heard these buses rumbling down the road. And he thought, well, because, you know, he lived across the bus station. He knew the bus schedule. And he thought, well, that's not right. i are supposed to be any buses coming in right now. So he looked out the window, and he saw all these people getting off the buses and kind of milling around, not knowing where to go. And then these workers and overalls came out and they started hosing down the buses. And when, he, when the grandfather looked at the buses, he saw that puddles of water underneath the buses were glowing green and yellow. And he did not know what that meant. He did not know that it meant that the, the um, workers had just washed all this radioactive dust off, off the buses. He just knew whatever it was it was bad and (laughs) they needed to be worried they needed to be very scared so that was when he said
0: i think we need to stay inside (laughs) figure out
2: what's going on (laughs) well
0: that i it's just so fascinating and and i am just so grateful for you for, for putting this out for us and like i said our kids are loving the book and um, so we were, we, were, we were very honored to have it on our list this year. We had 15 books um, and they, you know, I can't keep it on my shelf for my kids that are doing Battle of the Books. So um, mm-hmm. in our district, it's, a, it's on a middle grade list and all of our middle grades um, camp- campuses are participating. So it's, it's getting around a lot. So oh, I have
2: a list to hear. I'm so yeah. glad they're enjoying it. And it's such an honor to be, you know, on the Battle of the Books list. Oh.
0: We are glad to have you um, well I'll tell you what before we we leave we'd love to uh, let the listeners get to know you a little bit more so Debbie I think has some questions she'd love to ask you and just be honest with us give us your first thought on this. <laughs> okay. okay that's great
1: okay here's some these are just would you rather would you rather have a friend who loses your books or one who dog ear
2: dog ears them oh. Well, I'd rather have a friend who dog ears my books because then at least I get the books back. There you right? go. <laughs> there
1: you go. Okay. <laughs> me too. Me too. Okay. Would you rather read a book with an annoying cliffhanger or one where your favorite character is killed off?
2: Ooh, cliffhangers for sure.
1: Like I cliffhangers. So you want a sequel? Yeah. I wanted to keep going. <laughs> I hope I'm really enjoying it. Like, let me stay on that ride. Absolutely. <laughs> Okay. Would you rather read on the couch or in bed? Uh, Both. Can I say both? (laughs) You can say both. There's no no picking between that. Those are both heavenly. Okay. Mm -hmm. Would you rather read books about only? Would you rather only read books about love triangles or read books without any romance at all?
2: Ooh. Well, you know, I read so many books for really young readers that I tend to not read a lot of romance anyway, so I'll choose that one. Okay. Without any romance.
1: <laughs> okay. Would you be best friends with Jane Austen or F. Scott Fitzgerald?
2: Oh, Jane Austen! Hey!
0: Yeah, Absolutely! absolutely.
2: I, think
1: F- I think F. Scott
2: Fitzgerald was a fantastic writer, but I think... He was also a very troubled person, so I don't know if the friendship would feel very stable. <laughs> Jane <laughs> Austen, I mean, my goodness, she wrote Pride and Prejudice. I don't know, just want to pick her brain about how she created such incredible characters.
1: So witty, so witty.
2: So, oh, her books are so funny, yes.
1: Okay, would you rather meet Shakespeare or Edgar Allan Poe?
2: <gasps> oh, these are hard. <laughs> these are really hard. You know, I'm gonna go with Shakespeare because he wrote prolifically in so many different genres. I mean, he wrote historical plays, romantic comedies, dramas. I would love to know how could one person mm-hmm. write so many brilliant plays and
0: Poetry too. Yeah, I have to pick Shakespeare for sure. Okay. Debbie, I think you've got at least one more, right? I have one more. One more. This is is just
1: a fun one. Would you rather read about dragons or fairies? (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. Okay, that is, of course,
2: I've never been asked that question.
1: (laughs) You know, I'm going to pick fairies,
2: actually. I'm going to go with fairies, and I don't know why, it's just sort of a
1: gut. So are really popular right now. That's true. That's... So the reason I asked you that question is because I read all genres, but I have a 30-something-year-old daughter, and she always asks me when I'm giving her recommendation for a book, and I, she says, well, is there a dragon in it? And if it's not, <laughs> she says no. <laughs> she reads those thick, you know, dragon fantasy books. Oh, uh, so is she like a, a George R. Martin fan? Like, well, mostly more like Jordan and uh, Brandon Sanderson. Oh, okay, gotcha. That, those yeah. thick, world-building high fantasy. Oh, those <laughs> are so fun,
2: though, because you just you open that first page and you sink into another world.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. That was the last one that I had for you. Those are well, fun questions. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And we are so glad to have had you. And um, we just want to say again, just thank you for putting out some amazing content. Um, so... I can't wait to read your next book. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> thank what... you so much. Well, we're going to end with our tagline to always remember, put down that phone and pick up a book. And enjoy thank you thanks for coming we appreciate you thanks so much for having me